Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 332, Rumpelstiltskin, which I hear, Julia, after the process of preparing this episode, you can now spell. I can spell it correctly on the first try, and that is the most proud I have been in a really long time. I'm proud of you, too. Thank you. It's more difficult than you would think. You look at it and you're like, I probably know how to spell that. No, the L doesn't go where you think it is. And there's an extra L in there as well. (laughs) An extra T. You weren't expecting that T. Well, I'm so excited to learn about the story, which I think I have a very simplistic understanding of, but I bet is uh, more messed up than I remember. I just had so much fun when we were working our way through the story of Pinocchio. And while obviously that was like a very chunky story told over multiple months through a magazine, which again blows my mind that it was a time period where there was magazines, it had me thinking about other fairy tale characters that I very much enjoy. And Rumpelstiltskin is one that like really does stand out to me. So Amanda, I do, I want to ask you, what do you remember about this story? It is mostly, you know, a sad, uh, sad (laughs) guy. Fair. Someone is spinning straw into gold. Uh, Someone's taking advantage of someone else. And they have to uh, guess his real name and they can't do it. And that's essentially what I got. Okay. I mean, you did hit a lot of the points. And it really does kind of, the specifics are all about the version of the story that we're going to be telling. But uh, just for a little bit of context for our listeners before we dive into the actual story of Rumpelstiltskin, it was, of course, a German fairy tale collected by, do you want to guess? Is it the Brothers Grimm? Of course it is. It's the Brothers Grimm. It was part of their 1812 collection, Children's and Household Tales, and then with a more expanded and stylized revision of the story in the second edition that was released in 1819. I don't think it's occurred to me until now how mundane the idea of a household tale is. Yeah. And I get what they're saying, which is, you know, it's like stories people tell each other at home. But it, it's like, eh, like household recipes, eh, like household cleaner. I don't know. Just like the most mundane version of a thing. That's not it. Yeah. No, it's I love the idea of like these are stories that we tell around the fireplace. These are stories that our oral tradition has told again and again and again. And now it's time to publish those. And I'm like, I like what you're doing, Brothers Grimm. The outcome is not fantastic, but I like what you set out to do. Mm-hmm. As we know from all the other Brothers Grimm's collected stories, they obviously predate the publication, as I was implying there. And the research from Durham University actually traces the story back to around 4,000 years ago, though many scholars point to a reference to the tale in a Roman history that was published in the first century CE. No way. That's much older than I would have guessed. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little more because really the origin of the story is about names. And I think that'll be like kind of our closing thoughts. So keep that in mind as we as we go through these different tales and the Rumpelstiltskin tale as a whole. Hell yeah. As I mentioned, there are various other versions of this story. Most of them are European. The Irish have the Lazy Beauty and her aunts, which I really like. Oh. There's the Scottish Whuppity Story. There is an Arabic story with similar beats that translates to He Who Talks Too Much. And a Japanese tale similarly referred to as The Carpenter and the Ogre, which is actually one of my favorite variations of this story. Hmm. My favorite, however, Amanda of all of these variations, just name-wise, like not even just like the beats of the story, but name-wise, because they're always about the name, right? There's an English story that is called Tom Tit Tot. 
Tom tit tut? Tom tit tut. That sounds like a potato dish and I want it. It does. Ooh, it, describe what you think that dish is for me, please. I think it's a mix of Tom Ya, like a Thai situation mixed with mm-hmm, like... Mm-hmm, like coconut soup, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like, maybe it's like a spicy, almost like scalloped potato, like potato discs in like a spicy coconut-based, you know, lemongrassy curry situation. I can make that. I can make that <laughs> right now if I wanted to. Wow. Hell yeah, dude. I love that. But before we talk a bit more about these variations, Tom Tit Tot and others, <laughs> uh, we should dig into the story itself, right? So now this is the translation from the University of Pittsburgh, which has a great collection of fairy tales available online. So definitely check that out if this is an area of interest for you. So this is their word for word translation of the Grimm fairy tale because it is public domain. And so I can read it word for word. Gulia, tell me a story and then I'll give color commentary. Now, Amanda and our listeners, I want you guys to very like gently imagine you're, I don't know, like four or five years old, maybe six. You're tucked into bed and now one of your grandparents is coming to tell you a story. Except it's me. I'm your cool wine aunt Julia and I'm here to tell you the really fucked up story of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, it's like 7.45 p.m. and you're giving us a bedtime story so you and the parents can get a little bit drunk and, and hang out downstairs. Correct. Why else would you tell bedtime stories? <laughs> For ages old, that is the reason why bedtime stories have been told. Love it. Once upon a time, there was a miller who was poor, but who had a beautiful daughter. Now it happened that he got into a conversation with the king, and to make an impression on him, he said, I have a daughter who can spin straw into gold. Okay, uh, just right off the bat here. He was poor, but rich in his other possession, which is his beautiful daughter. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I mean, just how, how things were to a certain extent, but like I see you there. Uh, secondly, if the daughter cannot, in fact, spin straw into gold, that's a wild ass lie to say. It is. It's also, I was reading the like annotated version of this, and it is somewhat implied in the original tale that it wasn't actually that she could spin straw into gold, but rather her hair was so beautiful, it was like straw that turned into gold. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that she's like really good with spinning, which I'm like, word, that's good. <laughs> that's helpful. Uh, but uh, all right, let's 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 see what happens here. So the king said to the miller, that is an art that I really like. <laughs> If your daughter is as skillful as you say, then bring her to my castle tomorrow and I will put her to the test. When the girl was brought to him, he led her into a room that was entirely filled with straw. Giving her a spinning wheel and a reel, he said, get to work now, spin all night, and if by morning you have not spun this straw into gold, then you will have to die. Whoa! Whoa! (laughs) I'm sure this was not the implication that the old man, the miller, was originally trying to get his daughter into. No! But come on. Come on, guy. Julia, imagine you're on the Amtrak and you run into Joseph R. Biden and you pass (laughs) him in the the cafe car on the Amtrak, which he loves. And uh, he's like, hey, nice day we're having. You're like, it sure is. Nary as beautiful a day I've ever seen where I'm from in Vermont or whatever. And then he's like, come to the White House and make the day beautiful or else you will die. (laughs) (laughs) It's on you to make the day beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, like he he truly, I mean, the dad like bragged about the daughter, fine. But like, I don't know, that's making small talk. And if, if the king is like, oh, hi, what what society, you know, contributions do you make? You're like, oh, my daughter's beautiful and has an art. This is setting yourself up in a way that I don't know if the dad could have expected. Yeah. And I mean, if we've learned anything from like Greek mythology and hubris, you don't brag about your accomplishments ever. Just don't do it. That's true. You should have been like, yes, my king. Good ruling. Uh, Goodbye. 
Yes, uh, my daughter is beautiful, yes, but she has no skills. You don't want her. <laughs> no, I mean, even just saying that she's beautiful, that's like asking for the daughter to be made a, a queen, which given this king's immediate first idea is make this straw into gold or else you die, maybe not a good idea. Unless you want to go all Clytemnestra on him and become queen, then immediately kill him. That would be my goal here. Which, listen, Julia, that was girl bossing before the Industrial Revolution. That's true. And I'm not going to judge any girl for doing that. Nor should you. Nor should you. Girls, do what you had to. It was pre-industrial <laughs> times. We get it. <laughs> this is spiraling out of control. Okay, go on, go on. So the king then, he himself locked the room and she was there all alone. The poor miller's daughter sat there and for her life, she did not know what to do. She had no idea how to spin straw into gold. She became more and more afraid and finally began to cry. I mean, that's how I'd handle the situation, too. There's really no solving the situation. You're locked in a room with a bunch of straw. You're being told, turn it into gold. What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, you've got all night. Minimum, give yourself a little bit of time to cry, and then you can figure out what to do. Exactly. I always feel better when I have a little cry. Me too. So no shame. No shame for a little cry. No shame. A little bath, a little cry. You know. My favorite combo, bath and cry. Then suddenly, the door opened. A little man stepped inside and said, Good evening, Mistress Miller. Why are you crying so? Oh, answered the girl. I am supposed to spin straw into gold, and I do not know how to do it. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The little man said, What will you give me if I spin it for you? My necklace, said the girl. The little man took the necklace, sat down before the spinning wheel, and whirr, 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 three times pulled, and the spool was full. Then he put another one on and whir, 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 three times pulled and the second one was full as well. So it went until morning and then all the straw was spun and all the spools were filled with gold. Mm. At the sunrise, the king came and when he saw the gold, he was surprised and happy, but his heart became even more greedy for gold. He had the miller's daughter taken to another room filled with straw. It was even larger, and he ordered her to spin it in one night if she valued her life. You're a king. There are better ways or easier ways to get gold than this. Seriously. Taxes, for instance. Yeah. And then hopefully you tax them too high, and then they rebel and they kill you. You know, just the way of kings. Just the way of kings. We've all watched Game of Thrones. We know what it's about. You raise those taxes because you go to war, they'll kill you. So the girl did not know what to do, and she cried. Once again, the door opened, and the little man appeared. He said, What will you give me if I spin the straw into gold for you? The ring from my finger, answered the girl. The little man took the ring and began once again to whir with the spinning wheel. By morning, he had spun all the straw into glistening gold. The king was happy beyond measure when he saw it, but he still did not have his fill of gold. I see. He had the miller's daughter taken to a still even larger room filled with straw and said, Tonight you must spin this too. If you succeed, you shall become my wife. And so he thought to himself, Even if she's only a miller's daughter, I will not find a richer wife in all the world. Sure. Sure. Great. When the girl was alone, the little man returned for a third time. He said, What will you give me if I spin the straw this time? I have nothing more that I could give you, answered the girl. Then promise me, after you are queen, your first child. A classic, Amanda. This is where we get the firstborn child story from. This is great. 
It really, I mean, yeah, also the Torah and, and then here as well. That's a God thing, not a sacrificing to a small man who's spinning stuff thing. So, yes. Who knows what will happen, thought the miller's daughter, not knowing what else to do. She promised the little man what he demanded. In return, the little man once again spun the straw into gold. When in the morning the king came and found everything just as he desired, he married her and the beautiful miller's daughter became queen. There it is. There it is. A year later, she brought a beautiful child to the world. She thought no more of the little man, but suddenly he appeared in her room and said, Now give me that which you promised. The queen took a fright. This man just appeared. She hasn't thought about him in a year. Sure, sure. And offered the little man all the wealth of the kingdom if he would let her keep the child. But the little man said, No, something living is dearer to me than all the treasures of the world. An interesting statement something living mm. is dearer to me than all the treasures in the world because he really wants that baby huh yeah why do you want that baby so bad what are you gonna do with that baby amanda's theories what would he do with that baby maybe he just wants a baby maybe he just wants to adopt i'm also picking up on notes of like you know the anti-semitic like blood libel trope here mm. of you know someone associated with wealth with sort of like you know powers relating to gold that aren't accessible to the main protagonist and like their society and certainly this idea of like you know jews wanting christian children which is super explicit in other grim fairy tales and i think just sort of like a tasting note in this one <laughs> a gentle bouquet of anti-semitism yeah but is really powerfully and interestingly repurposed in Naomi Novik's novel Spinning Silver, mm -hmm. which is truly fucking powerful and incredible um, and features the daughter of a moneylender named Miriam, um, who is tight as fuck. So for anyone else who wants a little, a little palate cleanser and chaser, I highly recommend that novel. There we go. So the queen began lamenting and crying so much that the little man took pity on her and said, I will give you three days time. If by then you know my name, then you shall keep your child. Three days time. Mm -hmm. Amanda, again, the magic number of three happening here. The folkloric numbers. Yeah, for we sure. We love the folklore numbers. So the queen spent the entire night thinking of all the names she ever heard. Then she sent a messenger into the country to inquire far and wide what other names there were. Imagine being that messenger. Yeah. Where he's just like, you just want me to go and find out all the names okay <laughs> yes my lord yes my lord whatever you want my lord yes yes my queen yes my queen your majesty yes of course when the little man returned the next day she began with casper melchior balzer and said in order all the names she knew after each one the little man said that is not my name mm. the second day she sent inquiries into the neighborhood as to what names people had she recited the most unusual and most curious names to the little man is your name perhaps beast rib or mutton calf or leg string these are incredible these are great names i want to name all my pets these names from now on mm -hmm. i am a big fan of beast rib that sounds like a zoid from the tv show zoids that i watched as a child i was gonna say it also sounds like a dish you could order at medieval times um yeah. like you know they they call soup you know like a dragon's uh blood and it's like <laughs> yes beast rib and it's like uh, man that's that's a beef rib but okay let's let's go for it yeah, it's a real it's a real roast beast situation from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You're right on the money, as always. There you go. But he always answered, Amanda, to these wild names that she is putting out there. 
that is not my name. Mm -hmm. On the third day, the messenger returned and said, I have not been able to find a single new name, but when I was approaching a high mountain in the corner of the woods, there where the fox and the hare say goodnight. Love that. That's an incredible moment. Wow. I saw a little house. A fire was burning in front of the house and an altogether comical little man was jumping around the fire, hopping on one leg and calling out, Today I'll bake, tomorrow I'll brew, then I'll fetch the queen's new child. Mm. It is good that no one knows Rumpelstiltskin is my name. Oh, Julia, this is the original Bond villain telling you the, you know, keys to the, you know, dismantling the bomb. Classic villain monologue. I see where you're going. Exactly. Yeah. We love a classic villain monologue where they're like, you're going to die soon. So I'm going to explain exactly how, if you weren't about to die, you could ruin my entire plan because I'm so sure I got this plan down pat. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Villains, listen. Hey, my name's Julia. It's nice to meet you. I'm turning around in my chair right now. I got a backwards (laughs) hat. Villains, you don't need to tell anyone your plot. You can just do it. And then you can brag about it after. Yeah. Let it happen first, you know? I know it's your hubris, but... Come on. Julia, um, last night I rewatched Logan Lucky uh, with my husband, Eric, because he uh, went on a podcast talking about it, uh, which was extremely good. And I will link it in the show notes if it's out by the time this episode comes out, which I think it will be. That um, movie, like so many good heist movies, in my opinion, does the wonderful thing of like, you know, the plan works and then later you find out why. And it's I love that. It's like it's a flashback to what they put into place before, you know, the the climactic scene happens to like make it possible. Yeah. And I love it because A, the tension is relieved, but B, there's still a little bit of mystery. And that that is the true opposite to the villain monologue. Yes. I also love that about heist movies. I love that you can see all the parts, but you can't see exactly how they're going to fit together. Yes. It's also what I love about like Columbo and the new show Poker Face, where it's the how to solve it rather than the who done it, where it's like, all right, we know how the murder happened. So how does the detective or person figure out how it was done? And that's my favorite. Yes. All right. So the story continues, which you can imagine how happy the queen was when she heard that name. Soon after, the little man came in and asked, now, Madam Queen, what is my name? First, she asked, is your name Coons? No. Is your name Hines? No. Is your name perhaps Rumpelstiltskin? Oh, man, really dragging it out, really, for the reveal. The devil told you that! The devil told you that! shouted the little man. And with anger, he stomped his right foot so hard into the ground that he fell in up to his waist. Then with both hands, he took his left foot and ripped himself up the middle in two. Oh, okay. And that's the end of the fucking story! Now, Julia, you you paint us a wonderful word picture of, you know, being a, a kid, going to to sleep, maybe at the dinner party downstairs, maybe at your grandparents' house, like I did often growing up. I'm not sleepy after that. <laughs> <laughs> now, imagine that was the end of the story, and it's just like, and he ripped himself in the middle in two. Okay, good night. Bye. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real, like, can I get another story, please, I beg you, moment. Yes. So that is a wild ending. It is not the only version of the ending. So basically, there is a comparison of three different versions of the tale that I found, one from 1810, one from 1812, and one from 1819. So that was the ending from the 1819 version. But in the 1812 version, he simply runs away, never to return. 
fine, sure. Someone gave the Grimm's um, some punch-up notes. And they were like, hey, this has to be, you know, you got to really up the up the ante here. Yes. Uh, but the one that I like the best is the 1810 version, which is a much more bare bones version. The the Brothers Grimm really kind of stylized the story as the publications went on. But in this version of the story, when his name is revealed, Rumpelstiltskin flies out the window on a cooking spoon, which is big Baba Yaga energy. And I really love to see that. I love that, too. God, I wish. <laughs> So, Amanda, now that we have touched on our Rumpelstiltskin story, and we want to dive a little bit deeper into it, but let's do that as soon as we get back from our refill. Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the mid-roll, where, you know, it has never been a better time to join the Patreon over at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. That's where you can get ad-free episodes. So if you don't want this mid-roll interrupting your time, hey, just throw us a few bucks a month and you too can get access to the ad-free episodes along with so many other things, extras, bloopers. We got recipe cards. We have one-on-one time, those wonderful tarot vibe checks that Julia makes and more and more. Join us at patreon.com slash spirits podcast. And thank you to our supporting producer level patrons who have the benefit of getting their names read every single week. Alicia, Anne, Brittany, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, Nieselkins, Lily, Matthew, Megan Moon, Nathan, Phil Fresh, Rico Like, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah, Scott, and Zazie, and our legend-level patrons, Ariana, Audra, Bex, Chibi-Yokai, Morgan, Sarah, Schmitty, and Bia, Me Up, Scotty. Now, this week, I am doing a somewhat unusual recommendation, but I saw the Super Mario Bros. movie, and it was so good, and it was so joyful, and the world building was wonderful, and it made me feel all kinds of lovely and joyous feelings about my childhood and about the movies, and... I just recommend that you go and see the Super Mario Bros. movie. Chris Pratt's accent, not that bad. So if, like me, you were kind of worried about that and not sure if you were going to see it or not, don't worry. It's fine. It depicts Brooklyn in a way that makes me so warm-hearted. It's amazing. So this week, my uh, unusual recommendation is go see the Super Mario Bros. movie. I promise you won't be disappointed. As always, we have tons of stuff over here at Multitude going on. And this week, I would love to tell you about Queer Movie Podcast. This is a queer movie watch party hosted by Rowan Ellis and Jazza John and edited by our very own Julia. Join them as they research and rate their way through the queer film canon one genre at a time. From rom-coms to slashers, contemporary art house cinema to black and white classics, and Oscar contenders, by the way, they have an episode about The Whale, which I am very curious to listen to because there's been so much discussion about that movie. They have new episodes every other Thursday, so subscribe right now in your podcast app to Queer Movie Podcast. This week, we are sponsored by BetterHelp. And I know that I am shocked to still be learning stuff about myself 31 years into my life. And I am so grateful that I have the support of a therapist to help do that and guide me and encourage me when I learn and try new things. And when I was not able to find a therapist near me who I could afford, who was taking new patients, who had appointments available when I could actually go to therapy, I used BetterHelp for several years. And it was so convenient to be able to talk with a therapist on my schedule to book 
book appointments like on an app and not sort of going back and forth at the end of a session with like my phone out and trying to look at my calendar and also to be able to switch therapists, which you can do with no additional charge on BetterHelp. It's so hard to find a connection with a therapist where you can feel like you can be honest and challenged. But in my case, not wanting to like please my therapist or make them laugh is a thing I deal with. So the fact that I could go through a few therapists on BetterHelp at no additional charge to find someone I clicked with was awesome. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, BetterHelp is a really good way to try it out. You can discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com spirits today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot spirits. We are also sponsored this week by Tavor. This is a fabulous app that I've been using for years to get craft beer delivered to your doorstep. This is a really lovely way to support small breweries, microbreweries, craft breweries from all around the country that I can't get locally because beer distribution is still really regional. And so I know all of the wonderful craft breweries around me whose stuff I love to buy. But what about stuff from other parts of the country? It is so convenient. And what you can do on Tavor is buy beers one at a time. You can just get singles, which again, you can't always get elsewhere. One I tried recently was the deal with a devil beer. It's a barley wine, which I love. It actually has a perfect 100 out of 100 score on Beer Advocate, which I don't think I've ever seen before from Anchorage, Alaska, which like, hey, I can't get that in New York otherwise. That was totally amazing. And Tavor stores those beers in their warehouse for you until you're ready to order them to your house, where then it ships to you in one convenient package. Download the app from the Apple or Android app stores now to try Tavor. Use code SPIRITS for $10 off after your first order of $25 or more. And now let's get back to the show. So now, Amanda, I have a uh, I have a bone to pick with cocktail people right now. Oh, really? Yes. So if you Google Rumpelstiltskin cocktail, the first thing that comes up is a shot that is equal pours of Rumpelmins, which is basically peppermint schnapps. Okay. And Goldschlager which is cinnamon schnapps with gold flakes. And this just sounds horrible. That sounds bad. <laughs> it sounds very bad. I'll take a peppermint. I'll take a cinnamon candy. I don't want those two in my mouth at the same time. No, it just seems very warring, doesn't it? Yes. Like, it doesn't seem good. <laughs> People who have tried this, let me know if it's good. But it just seems like an affront to my taste buds. And I normally wouldn't say that about most alcohol. No, I, I can't remember you at any point on this podcast being like, that drink is bad, <laughs> uh, which, which is not like something someone poured you at a party that they shouldn't have done. But like, damn. Yeah. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the spinning straw into gold aspect of the story. And I'm going to plug the Gold Rush cocktail, which I'm pretty sure we featured on the podcast before. But it's a classic. It's a play on a whiskey sour, but it's got a little bit more of like a sweet honey twist to it. And it just works better here than whatever that was. <laughs> Yeah, love it. I just like, I try to imagine what that would taste like in my mouth and I can't, I simply can't do it. Especially something with gold flake, it really smacks or schnapps, if you will, of um, <laughs> being chosen only for the visual, <laughs> which has a place in, in cocktails and getting a beautiful cocktail is the reason, I don't know, for me mostly that like I go out for cocktails in the first place. It's very pretty and then tastes nice and, you know, I can smell a lot of herbs and whatever, but that just, I, uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. Listen. We all grew up with Superbad. We're of a Superbad growing up age. So we remember like Goldschlager seemed like a great idea at the time. Mm. Like that was the holy grail of that movie is they needed to get a bottle of Goldschlager so that they could sleep with Emma Stone, I think? Question mark? I simply don't recall. 
I simply don't recall. But anyway, it's not as good as they made it seem like it is. I'm just going to yeah. tell you now. Like like many things, like most uh, most shots that are not just well whiskey or tequila with a with a um, a beer shot combo, in my opinion, not not for me. Mm-hmm. Amanda, did I tell you that my local dive bar now has beer shot combos on their menu? Ah. Julian, take me there. Anytime, babe. Anytime. Ah. They have my favorite one, which is the the Quint, named after the surly sea captain from Jaws. And it is a Narragansett lager and a shot of apricot brandy. Oh my God. Julia, clear your schedule. I'm coming. <laughs> if not this weekend, the next weekend. I'm calling it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Just, it's so good. You wouldn't think it would work, but it was so fucking good narragansett has that like oyster shell like shellfishy little undertone that frankly is delicious yes and that goes well with fruit yes yes fuck it's so good fuck anyway damn shit we have to talk about more of this little man (laughs) fine fine i know we can talk about beer shot combos all day but we're talking about rumpelstiltskin (laughs) rumpelstiltskin truly a beer shot combo when you think about it oh julia okay i've invented the rumpelstiltskin are you ready? Go for it. It is a wheat beer, a summery, like summer wheat beer mm-hmm. with a shot of, let's think about that. I didn't think further than the beer part. No, you're right. You're on the money. Um, Gold, maybe like a Reposado tequila. I love that. That's what we're doing. Okay. It's honestly one of my favorite beer shot combos, which is a Modelo Especial and mm-hmm. uh, and just whatever tequila they have on hand. So I'm calling it the Rumpelstiltskin is a wheat beer and a shot of um, Reposado tequila and reading past guest Veronica Shainis' article on uh, modern Jewish responses to anti-Semitism in fairy tales. Woo! Woo! We could also do the episode that she was on as well. Exactly. All right. So the story of Rumpelstiltskin, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, is obviously not the only version of this story, right? So we've chatted on the show about the Arn Thompson Uther Index, which for those of you who don't remember is basically used to help catalog folktale types. And Rumpelstiltskin falls under the category in the index called guessing the helper's name or the name of the helper. Yeah, I mean, this idea of like the true name and not telling the fae your name and like, you know, your name holding power is one of the things I remember being so enrapturing to me as a kid reading fairy tales. And I always love when we have a chance to revisit this idea on the show. Absolutely. Let me tell you a couple more versions of the story, and then we will circle back to the the true name is magic or the true name is power trope, all right? Hell yeah. As I also mentioned before, there are several stories that fit into this category as well as Rumpelstiltskin, like the English Tim Tit Tot or Duffy the Devil. So I really like the Tim Tit Tot version because it's about a daughter who has basically like an Amelia Bedelia style confusion at the beginning of the story. I never read Amelia Bedelia. What is what is the the gloss on that? Amelia Bedelia is basically like she she's like a nanny. She does housework and stuff like that. So she's kind of like a maid, right? And she doesn't understand terms of phrases. So Ah. like if they ask her to like do something, she'll do the literal meaning of that and not what they actually intended. So let me let me look up an original Amelia Bedelia confusion thing here. (laughs) So, for example, she interprets a request to put the lights out as a request to physically put the light bulbs outside. I see. Okay. All right. Stuff like that. You know, if um, 
if she is asked to dust something, she'll cover the house in dust rather than, quote unquote, undusting things. You know what I mean? A classic caper and I'm sure a neurodiverse icon. In Tim Tit Tot, the daughter has this kind of Amelia Bedelia style confusion where her mother tells her to put some pies in the window so that they can come again, which means like the overbaked crust will soften up because it's outside. Oh, sure. However, the girl thinks that they'll come again as in they'll just like reappear. So she's like, well, if they're going to come again, I'll just eat these now. You know, I'm hungry and I want to eat. So she ends up eating them. And then the mother is like, hey, go get those pies. And the daughter is like, weird, they didn't come back. And so the mother's like, <laughs> goes outside. She's like, I, I need time away from you right now. Oh, no. So goes outside to start spinning. And she's singing the song about like how her daughter ate five pies. And then a king comes walking by as she's outside singing and spinning. And she becomes too embarrassed by her daughter's uh, misdeeds that she's like, oh, no, I actually said that she uh, spun five skeins of yarn. Sure. And the king's like, wow, that's an impressive thing to do in an afternoon. And I need a wife. I'll marry her. You know? Oh, okay. I mean, this this king so far is a little more practical. He's like, you know what? One of the things my wife needs to do to contribute to our household as I'm kinging is, in fact, uh, spin yarn. So great. Yeah. But five skeins is a lot for yes, her, no, for, totally. for a lady. And so the king tells the mother, he's like, so she can have all the things she wants for 11 months out of the year. I'll buy her beautiful dresses. She can eat whatever she wants. She'll live the life of luxury. But in the last month of the year, she'll have to spin five skeins every day for me. And if she doesn't, I'll kill her. All right. Remember that thing where I said that this king is more reasonable? Yeah. <laughs> Take it back. Take it yeah, back. Yeah. So the mom's like, that sounds great. And I'm sure the king will forget all about that deal. So this is a great marriage for my daughter and sends her off. Mm. And of course, it, oh it, it goes how you think it will. 11 months goes by and then the king takes her to a room and is like, OK, five skeins or your head comes off. Oh, boy. I mean, to uh, I know you're not asking me to find relatability in the mom here, Julia. But, mm -hmm. you know, to her credit, I, too, have been in situations where I'm like, yeah, this is a future me problem and I'll figure it out. Uh, next time. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we've we've talked about like in the Beauty and the Beast episode, like how these kind of marriages would go for people in these time periods. Yeah. And it was about, you know, like trying to provide both yourself and your child the best life possible, uh, even if it wasn't a great situation. Yeah. No, it's a legal and economic sort of risk arbitrage. And, you know, it is what it is. Much like in Rumpelstiltskin, she cries and then along comes this little creature who they describe as a, basically an imp, they describe it as a small little black thing with a long tail. Mm. And similarly, the deal is I'll spin the flax for you and you may guess my name three times every night, but after the month is up, you shall be mine. So instead of like promising a child down the line, they're just straight up like, you're going to marry me instead which, okay, fine. But this girl is able to suss out the name after her husband, the king, comes the final night and tells her like, oh, I was out hunting and I came across this strange little creature who was singing that his name was Tom Tit Tot. <laughs> and that gives her what she needs to get out of the deal. Just listen, if if guessing your true name is the answer to the riddle, don't, don't ever say it. Don't yeah. ever say it. Especially don't sing it out loud. No. Where people could hear you. I know. Just like ambiently, the way I sing like Queen and Billy Joel around my house, just like singing my true name. Yeah. <laughs> I like people who like make up songs while they're like doing doing stuff like, yeah, I'm washing dishes and my name is Julia. <laughs> like that would that would be me. I would give up my true name and people would be like, ha now I have power over you. I don't know, Julia. I don't think that you would be like gardening outside, sort of singing your social security number in 
into the breeze. <laughs> like that doesn't feel like you. <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, oh, Polly Walnuts, local squirrel, who's definitely not a man transfigured into a squirrel. Let me tell you all all my personal identifying information, like where my mother was born in the name of model of my first car. Here's my mom's maiden name and 807905. (laughs) That's not my social security number. Don't come at me. Yeah, like like every law and order phone number, it's 212-555-5555. Yes, of course. Classic. That's also one of my favorite things is like, if I can't explicitly figure out where a uh, like TV show or movie is taking place, yeah. but they provide an area code, I immediately look it up. I'm like, where is this place? That's so smart, Julia. What can I say, Amanda? I need to know things. <laughs> so smart. So there's another version of this story that's an Italian version of the story. It's called uh, Tarandando. Tarandando. Love it. Ooh. And I love the way that it describes the like main protagonist girl in this story, which is, quote, she was not an ugly girl. But she had the flaw that she was always too smart for her own good, and she would rather eat and be lazy than work. Which, like, same girl, let's hang out. Let's hang out. You sound great. Yeah, you're wearing a sweatshirt, Julia, that says rigatoni. I think you guys would get along great. That's true. That's true. And all (laughs) I want to do is eat rigatoni and not work. Yeah, here we are. So basically, in this version of the story, after being a smartass to her mother, and again, it's kind of almost another Amelia Bedelia situation where her mom tells her, hey, uh, for dinner, cook us a couple of kernels of rice. And she literally only cooks two kernels of rice. (laughs) So basically, a distinguished gentleman overhears the mother scolding her daughter and asks what's up and so the mother lies and she's like oh my daughter she spun seven spindles and i don't want her to overwork herself so i'm scolding her because she's too industrious fascinating i i love how it's it's you know moms trying to save face for their kids who sort of aren't you know adhering to traditional feminine stereotypes in these ones Well, again, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, this random gentleman has just appeared at our doorstep. Maybe I can marry her off. And that's Mm -hmm. usually the case of it. So the gentleman wanting to marry such an industrious woman whisks her away to the house and marries her. And so he puts her in a room the first day and is like, all right, spin for me. And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, do you think I took you for a wife so that you would not have to work? If you want to be lazy, you can go back to your own house. Wow. Which is a direct quote from the story. Damn. That man said that to her. You're like, damn. All right. Oh, boy. So once again, she's gotten to that situation where she's got to do some spinning. A small man comes in and offers his services to her in exchange for her becoming his if she cannot guess his name. Again, classic beat for beat. Unlike the rest of the stories, though, the story doesn't end when she's able to guess Tanandando's name because her husband still expects her to spin. Mm, There's no out. There's no out here. Interesting. However, I know that I have a very clever aunt who is unmarried. Hey, spinster aunt, get at it. And so she's like, clever aunt, what do I do? And so the aunt basically creates like the medieval version of a blood packet for her. Oh, some stage makeup. Let's go. And fills it with like chicken blood and grease. Hell yeah. And then so the young woman like kind of positions herself and starts spinning. Right. And then she squeezes it against her body like underneath her armpit. Yeah. And like 
it starts bleeding and dripping grease and her husband is like what the fuck is that (laughs) and she's like oh i developed this boil from all the spinning that i'm doing oh but my husband you want me to spin right and he's like that's fucking disgusting you never (laughs) have to spin again don't worry about it damn ingenious dude i love the ending to that one it's so good (laughs) It's like an additional bonus story to the Rumpelstiltskin-esque story. And it's like, chef's kiss. Incredible. And then before, I also mentioned The Carpenter and the Ogre, which is a Japanese story, uh, which does not feature a woman doing any sort of like weaving or spinning, but it does have very similar beats to it. All right, let's go. So in this story, there was a very dangerous river that was surrounding a town. And the townspeople were very frustrated because of how isolated it made them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. However, every time they tried to build a bridge to ford the river, it would be destroyed by the rage of the water. Not a good time. So the townspeople pooled all their money together and hired a famous carpenter from another village who was famous for building the best bridges, right? All right, smart. Imagine, like, your whole thing is like, yeah, man, I build sick (laughs) bridges. I'm known far and wide for being the best at building bridges. You know, we haven't had such a cultural figure here in the U.S., Julia, since Ty Pennington, back when uh, <laughs> Extreme Home Makeover was the, the nation's hit. And we did not know as a culture about the tax ramifications and terrible construction that that show was rife with. That's true. That's true. R.I.P. It was a better time then when we didn't know all about that. Yeah. So the carpenter comes to the village, but... Upon seeing the river, the carpenter is terrified and he is so sure that he will never be able to build a bridge here. The waters are just too rough. They're too scary. It's just going to be impossible. So as he sits there and he contemplates how he could possibly achieve such an impossible task, a huge oni or ogre appears out of the forest and says, oh, you must be the carpenter that the village hired. I'm super strong. I could build that bridge for you if you wanted my help. And the carpenter is, one, terrified of this Mm -hmm. giant scary ogre. And two, is like, yeah, okay. And the oni is like, all right, I'll build that bridge for you. And then you'll give me your eyeballs in exchange. And he's like, what? And then the oni disappears. Oh, no, you can't just do that. No, you can't. So the Oni disappears. He becomes a shadow, sinks into the water. And the carpenter is so scared that he just like runs away and he hides, hides. Basically, Amanda hides under the covers of his bed and is like, what deal did I just make? What's going to happen when all these villagers find out that I can't make this bridge, et cetera, et cetera. I see. So he falls asleep and he wakes up the next day and he hears all the villagers crying out. They're like, the bridge, it's beautiful, amazing. Oh (laughs) Oh, my God. And the carpenter's like, I gotta go. And just like flees the village, right? Because he knows that now that the bridge is built, that Oni's gonna come collect his eyes. Yeah, of course. So, however, as he is walking through the forest, he hears a bunch of little small Oni singing how like, oh, they're going to eat. Our dad's going to bring us some human eye stew. It's going to be delicious. Oh, no, not the babies. So he's like, oh, no, if there's babies around, that means the big Oni is going to be around. He tries to flee. Yeah. Caught by the ogre immediately. The carpenter begs for his eyes, saying that without them, he won't be able to work and feed his family. But uh, you got the little Oni children. I, the Oni points out that he has a family to feed, too. Yeah. Amanda, exactly. You see. You see. So he makes a deal with him. He's like, father to father. <laughs> if you can guess my name in three tries, I'll let you go. Sure. Great. Right. I mean, very kind of him to just build this bridge for free then. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the carpenter is like, all right, I'm going to take a guess on the first one. Uh, you're really big. Maybe you're the first Oni. He's like, nah, mm-hmm. nah, that's not me. Uh, and then he picks some like very scary name because he's like, you're you're big and scary. Maybe it's this. And he's like, no, no, no. And then he remembers Amanda. Those little Oni children, they had been singing in the woods and they referred to their father as Oni Roku. Oh, they're like, oh, daddy Oni Roku is going to bring us the, hey, the eyeballs too. singing. Never sing in the woods. This is what I'm learning. <laughs> never sing your information. <laughs> So he shouts the name Oniroku three times and the ogre bursts into a bubble and disappears forever, letting the carpenter run free to return to his family. Oh no, what happened to Daddy Oniroku? I don't know. And I hope nothing happened to those little baby Onis. They just wanted their stew. Maybe they like learned the trades and grew up to, you know, create a a sort of carpentry co-op teaching their skills, you know, to, to the people. I love that for them. Amanda, that's great. <laughs> that's my head headcanon now. Those Oni children are fine. They're thriving. And now everyone goes to them for their bridge building needs. Thanks. <laughs> there are, of course, many other versions of the story. And if you have a favorite that you grew up with, I would love to hear about it. Send it in to us. I want to hear all about it. But there is one more thing that I want to talk about with the story of Rumpelstiltskin before we wrap up. And this is what the folklorists call the Rumpelstiltskin Principle or the law of names, which is basically shorthand for the value and power of using personal names and titles. And the idea in folklore that to give or to know the true name of a being gives you power over it. Mm. Now this, as we already talked about, is a very popular trope in the fantasy genre, but also in a lot of religious and mythological backgrounds as well. Oh, yeah. So for example, Isis in Egyptian mythology is able to gain control over the sun god Ra and put her son Horus on the throne because she is able to, like, through an elaborate trick, trick Ra into revealing his true name to her. Yeah. Which I think is is very cool. And of course, uh, in the Odyssey, we see Odysseus give the name nobody to himself when he's captured by the Cyclops Polyphemus. And he could have saved himself from the wrath of poseidon if he didn't fall into his own hubris and reveal his true name to the defeated cyclops classic and there are just like there are so many creatures in folklore that can be defeated or conquered by calling out their their true names such as the scandinavian nix and my favorite example amanda and we'll talk about some of your favorites as well i'm sure but my favorite example in a fantasy novel is the like power of names in ursula k Le Guin's Earthsea novels, Mm. which basically like the knowledge of a true name of a thing confers power over it. And so no one ever tells anyone their true names. And if you learn the true name of like an animal or a rock or a plant, you gain magical control over it. Totally. I think this is such an interesting principle and probably something we can do a full episode on. So probably if anybody has scholars or books or examples of true names in folklore that they have come across and really love, I would actually really like it if you could send those to us, tag us on social or send us an email um, at spiritspodcast.com slash contact and we could put that together. So yeah, I would love to dig further into the true name trope, but I also really think that it's interesting how in every case of every Rumpelstiltskin variant, there is something as simple as a name that can really mean the difference between life and death. And whether or not it's just like a, ooh, you couldn't possibly know my name, so I'm going to trick you thing, or if it is actual like magical power that, for example, with the Oni makes them disappear is a really powerful and really interesting image. 
I do truly want to dig into more about why the magic of names is so important. Amazing. So we will do that. Stay tuned, everybody. And in the meantime, if your mom is out doing the washing, telling wild lies about you and your abilities, remember. (laughs) Or is just singing your social security number out loud to the birds. Remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.